This morning, um, or last week, whenever you heard a bit about uh, this series, which is called Give Your Head Peace, being about generosity and solitude and silence. Uh, last week was about generosity, and uh, you may have thought, ooh, that was challenging, but you may even think, well, actually, solitude and silence might sound even more challenging than that, because I think the phrase or the words solitude and silence can sometimes conjure up in us a, a picture which is, uh, it can be like a negative picture. Um, so, for instance, there's a film years ago, uh, nearly 20 years ago now, called The Castaway, star- starring Tom Hanks, where he ended up on a remote island following a plane crash and lived for years by himself. And that film, I suppose, looked at not only the challenges of physical survival, but also the challenges of psychological survival, how, how to survive being alone. And then in more recent years, that film with Matt Damon called The Martian, in which he went even further away and ended up on Mars. And uh, the the whole film's about the challenge of survival, but also the psychological challenge of being alone. So when we hear the word solitude and silence, we may think of those type of things. Or we may think about um, solitary confinement, being in prison, which is punishment. Uh, or we may think about uh, things like a monk being in his cell. And uh, those things may seem very, very different than our, our own day-to-day lives. But what uh, this Bible reading that uh, Stephen read for us this morning shows us is that solitude is an absolute necessity in the Christian life, that it is just a given, that if we want to be followers of Christ, in other words, learners of Christ, disciples of Christ, then we must seek to live in the same patterns of life that Jesus lived in. We can certainly not hope to be like Jesus or to glorify Jesus in our lives if we don't follow the same patterns of his life. And so one of the key patterns of Jesus' life is solitude and silence. And so the wonderful reading we have for today is, it's a day in the life of Jesus. It's a 24-hour period that we heard about this morning. Uh, Unusual just to get that sort of fuller glimpse of what it was like to be Jesus, of what it was like to to look closely at his life. And so the day starts, it's a Saturday, it's the, it's the Jewish Sabbath, and the start of the day starts in Capernaum, a town in Galilee, not far from Nazareth. Jesus stands up, starts to speak in the synagogue, or maybe in the synagogue they sat down, everyone else did, and uh, he, he teaches, and in the midst of his talk, a demon-possessed man starts to shriek and shout out to him. And Jesus says to him, be quiet come out of him. The man convulses. There's lots of screaming. And then the man is clothed in his right mind and he sits there calmly. And not surprisingly, this was going to be a gathering that people didn't forget. And people went away saying, did you see that? That was authority, not just in teaching, but in action. And the news started to spread quickly throughout Galilee. And then the Bible reading tells us, and the wonderful thing about Mark's gospel, Mark um, Mark's gospel is all about punchy speed, and so the sentences are shorter, and uh, it's all about words like immediately and at once, and what Mark is trying to convey to us is if we had lived in the presence of Jesus, we would have found that life would have been traveling fast, trying to keep up with the energy and the, the strength of Jesus, the spiritual, mental, and, and physical strength of Jesus, and then there would have been these oases of complete silence, complete quietness, and complete inactivity. 
The thing was, the disciples didn't notice this until after a while. They, they, they got used to the fact that Jesus would disappear for a while. And then they started to ask questions, uh, teach us how to pray. How, how do you do what you do? And he didn't tell them directly, he just lived it out. And the penny started to drop. And so what happens is Jesus then on this Saturday, uh, and here's this word, phrase again, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, helped her up. The fever left her. She began to wait on them. Mark doesn't waste any time here at all. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. The reason why they waited after sunset was because it was the Sabbath, so you couldn't travel. You had to wait till it was dark, and so they traveled. So Mark is basically just punching out information. You might imagine then that everyone would think, well, Jesus deserves to lie in the next day. Can you imagine you're speaking in a gathering, someone who's demon-possessed starts to shriek at you and shout at you. You then cast out that demon. People are going, this is amazing, this is fantastic. You go, hopefully for something to eat, at your friend's house uh, mother-in-law is unwell. You go straight to her room. You heal her. She gets up. She starts to serve you. You have lunch together. Then, knock on the door. Crowds of people. Tens, hundreds of people at the door. There's people sick. There's, there's lepers. There's demon-possessed people. There's terribly distressed people. And you are there probably for hours ministering to them. Because Jesus wouldn't have just gone, be healed, be healed. He would have spent time with every person probably hours of ministry, healing, blessing, casting out demons, people shrieking. I imagine when it came late at night that night, most of us would have thought as we put our head in the pillow, if we even had a pillow, I'm going to have a lie-in tomorrow morning. But what does Jesus do? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a salty place where he prayed. The motivation of Jesus to do that was a burning desire to be alone with his heavenly Father, to have the sweet communion of heaven on earth. And so in the midst of, I'm sure, physical tiredness, he gets up, he pulls, imagine his cloak around him. It's cold, it's dark. He goes outside to be alone. He maybe tiptoes through or steps through his disciples. He goes out unfed into the darkness and into the cold. Why? Because what's more important to him? To be alone in the presence of his heavenly Father. Even sleep, even food, nothing is more important than that. And so he goes outside. And I imagine as he does that, as he's praying outside, and I imagine this isn't five minutes or ten minutes, I imagine this is hours before his disciples come. And they say, they say, everyone is looking for you. And Mark just says, everyone is looking for you. I imagine the subtext of that is, where did you go? Why didn't you tell us you were going? Where have you been? We've been dealing with the crowds. What's been happening? How could you leave us? How could you forsake us? How could you go away from us? And Jesus answers, not by saying, please wait over there until I finish my prayer. He answers not by saying, 
you're right. Let's go back into Capernaum and just soak up all the general adoration. He says, let's go on to the next town. We're not going back into town. We're going straight on so I can preach in other places because that's why I've come. The thing about solitude and silence is that lots of things happen in the midst of it. One of the things that happens is that we get clear guidance. We get fresh guidance. What are we meant to do with our lives? What are we meant to do with our day? And and one of the, the greatest benefits of solitude is clarity. It's crystal clear clarity because we, in the presence of the Father, we get a brand new perspective. Guidance is one of the great blessings of solitude. Another one is fresh compassion. I imagine that Jesus in this prayer time is praying for, he's praying probably for the people, the the tens or hundreds of people he's seen the day before. He's maybe praying that their healing would deepen and continue, that the people who have been freed from demons would not return to that lifestyle or mindset, but would live in fullness and freedom. I imagine he knows that news is going to spread quickly. He's praying for the people who will hear in the towns around. He's maybe praying for those in his hometown of Nazareth nearby, his cousins, his brothers, his sisters, as they hear the news that God will speak to them, that they will react in a good way to this amazing news they're hearing about this demon being cast out and people being healed and other demons cast out. I imagine he's praying for his disciples, praying, Lord, may the penny drop with them. May they understand what's happening. May they grow in compassion. May they learn the pattern of my life. May they learn what you have taught me. I imagine these are the type of things that Jesus was praying. And I think a clue to that is the fact that when his disciples come, he responds with patience and love even though they say something which probably has a bit of an edge to it. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't tell them to wait. He loves them. I think he's just been praying for them. And he says, let's go on to the next time. And this pattern is a pattern that Jesus Christ wants his disciples. He wants us to learn because it's the key to living in the presence of God. The pattern of Jesus' life was one of service at a depth and at a pace that we would have found extremely difficult. Even the physically the fittest of us would have found it really difficult to keep up with Jesus. Mentally, emotionally, let alone spiritually, we would have found it exhausting. The disciples again and again in the Bible, what are they doing? They're falling asleep. It was so demanding trying to keep up with Jesus. And yet, the key to what Jesus did was the compassion in his heart. And so, he says, let's go on to the next village. There's so many more sick people. There's so many more troubled people. There's so many people who don't know God. There's so many people who don't trust the goodness of the Father. We must go on to the next village. And then in the verses that follow our reading this morning, there's a wonderful picture about the compassion of Jesus A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. Can you imagine that picture? Someone coming to you and kneeling before you and begging you for help. If you're willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. And the Bible says, in our translation, Jesus was indignant. Most translations say Jesus was filled with compassion. 
he reached out his hand and he did the unthinkable. He touched the man with leprosy. At that time, that was seen as a personal death sentence. If you touched someone with leprosy, not only were you going to be physically ill, you were going to be spiritually unclean. It was just something you did not do. Be clean, said Jesus. And here's that word again in Mark's gospel. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. There is this pattern of Jesus' life that Mark is telling us is that, wow, if you want to serve like Jesus with the depth and the power and the pace of Jesus, then boy, you better also, we also need to learn that the things that are necessary sometimes unseen, that Jesus has gone for hours in the darkness to be by himself with God. And often in the Christian life, like the disciples, it takes us years and years and years suddenly for the penny to drop. That's the key to life with Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I imagine that the most of us have, have a pattern of life where we we have a quiet time, a devotional time every day. It's really, really important. We read scripture. We maybe listen to a worship song. We, we pray. We maybe journal. We write down prayers. And that's extremely important. And we will have discovered if we do that, that that is a completely necessary time in our day. If it doesn't happen, everything starts to unravel. Everything starts to unwind. But the further we go into solitude, the further we go into being alone in the presence of God, we discover that that's not enough. We need more. We hunger and thirst for more of God. And so we need to go deeper into places of solitude and silence. And the Father invites us into those places because he wants us to be with him in a more profound and in a deeper way. He wants to feed our souls at a, at a more profound level. And so he calls us into places of solitude and silence. Now, I don't think that that means going to a remote island or having to go to another planet. What that often means is just finding a place to be alone. It could be the coastal path, sometime in the morning or in the evening or in the afternoon or sometime just finding a place to walk and purposely, deliberately saying, I am going to go out and be alone with God. It can mean going to a chair in our home and saying, that'll be the place I'll go to. I'm going to go to that chair. I'm going to go to that place. And that's the place where I'll go and I'll settle myself in the presence of the Father. And I'll say, Lord, I want to meet with you. I want to meet with you. And we still read scripture and we still maybe listen to worship songs or we still read the words of a hymn. As we begin to pray, if you're like me, what will happen is this. First of all, there will be what will, the worries will come first of all. And so in that place, the first thing that happens for me is that all the worries just start to come to the surface. And so we bring them before the Lord. Not even in a spoken way, but we just, we, we persevere in the presence of God. And the next thing that comes up for me is my to-do list. I have a long to-do list. You have a long to-do list. But here's the thing about solitude. First of all, what happens is this. That as we sit quietly in the presence of God doing nothing, 
And the first thing that happened is that nagging worry, which is, be, is I could be doing so many constructive things at this moment. And the temptation is to go and get up and go. But we seek to persevere and to get beyond the to-do list, get beyond the worries, get beyond the to-do list. And we discover something amazing happens, that the to-do list just gets shorter as we sit and do nothing. Not because someone who is a personal servant to us is over at the side doing what what we might be doing, but because what happens is in that silence, in that solitude, God says to us, Nigel, he won't call you Nigel, but he'll call me Nigel. And he'll say, see that thing you're worrying about? See that thing on your to-do list? It doesn't need to be done. It's a waste of time. That's not what I want you to do. And then he also says, Nigel, see that thing on your to-do list? Do it next month. Doesn't need done now. You know that saying, don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Is that, is that a saying, isn't it? It's, it's rubbish. Because there are many things that God says to us it doesn't need done today. There are things that God will say, do it now. Don't procrastinate, do it now. But there are also things where God will say, it can wait. The place that I am seeking to get to is the place where the to-do list evaporates altogether. Not because God hasn't got service for me to do and service for you to do, but we discover the truth of Galatians 5.1 where Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And that means he has also set us free from the the to-do list, which if you're like me, is sitting there like a digital image quite often at the side of your head. Because the, the discipline, the practice of solitude is the practice of sitting alone with God, so it's not alone at all, alone with God doing nothing. And realizing that we are loved that we are the apple of his eye, not because we're doing anything, not because we're ticking things off the list, just because we're loved, just because we're a child of God. And as that settles into our souls by the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Father whispers his love into our soul, we just start crossing things off the to-do list, or God's Spirit crosses them off with us. But he wants to bring us to the place ultimately where we don't wake up or we don't sit in solitude and say, I wonder what I need to get done today. Quite often, our quiet times, our devotional times, can be times where we're thinking, Lord, I need a shot in the arm. I need to, like one of those electric cars, I need to, I need to plug in. And there obviously is that important element of it where we're seeking to say, Lord, I need fresh energy. I need fresh power. I've got a lot on today. I need that fresh energy to go out into the world, to care for relatives, to build relationships, to, to earn a crust, to, to fix things, to go to the dentist, to do whatever it happens to be. I've got a lot of things to do today, Lord. I need you to give me a shot in the arm so I can get out and do it. 
But as time goes on, we realize that where the Spirit of God wants to take us to is not a place where time alone with Him is, is just simply about recharging our batteries so that we can go back into the fray, back into the competition. The Holy Spirit wants to bring us to the place where we actually step out of the rat race rather than being equipped to do a better job in the rat race. The Spirit of God wants to bring us to that place where we're not saying, if I get a shot in the arm from God, I will achieve more, I will attain more, I will win more. The Holy Spirit wants to bring us to the place where we say, the rat race, who wants to be in the rat race? And there's only one way to get there. Solitude. The discipline of being quiet and being alone and doing nothing. And being satisfied with the fact that when we are doing nothing, we are entirely loved by God. Whenever Jesus was showing the pattern of his life to his disciples, he sent them out on a mission trip and in Mark chapter 6, again, we see this pattern of, of really full-on service and then solitude. And so he sends his disciples out in Mark 6 to cast out demons, to preach, to heal. He says to them after they come back, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, this is what we do. We go boom, 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 full on service, and then we take an oasis time. And amazingly, Jesus is teaching them and teaching us that that means we can actually get to a place where Jesus is living for an audience of one, that he gets to the place throughout his entire life. He grows in his maturity, his strength, that as the situations get busier and more challenging until he arrives at the cross, that actually he is able, in the midst of the hurly-burly, in the midst of the attack, in the midst of the oppression, in the midst even of crucifixion, to live in the presence of God alone. And so on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not because the Father has left him. It's because the Father is with him and the Father has had to relinquish the bond with his son. And so he's speaking to his father. And where's his father? His father is still present with him. But he goes through excruciating pain of being forsaken by the Father who is with him so that we will never be forsaken. Notice the outcome of the time alone with God for the disciples and Jesus. But many, as they were heading, as they had been in this solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So the only time they have alone is on the boat, but it's It's solitary time, nonetheless, with Jesus. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Where does the compassion come from afresh? Where does the fresh compassion come from? It comes from solitude with the Father. 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And after that, he miraculously fed the crowd of over 5,000 people. It is in the quiet place, the alone place with the Lord, that fresh compassion happens where God poured out his love into our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's guidance, and there's compassion, and there's this fresh love for other people. And uh, two French Christians, one called uh, Jean Guillon, who lived at the end of the 16th century, start of the 17th century, described this solitude and silence in this way. She said, in silence, God pours into you a deep inward love This experience of love is one that will fill and permeate your whole being. It is the beginning of indescribable blessedness. Thomas Merton, another French Christian who lived in the 20th century, said this, It is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. So there's fresh guidance. There's this new infusion of compassion. And the disciples were invited into this pattern so that they would become more like Jesus. But here's the thing. The reason why we enter into solitude and silence is not to become more like Jesus Christ. Now, that will sound a strange thing to say. But it's a very important distinction. The reason why we enter into solitude and silence is not to become more like Jesus. It is to spend more time with Jesus. All of the spiritual exercises are for that one purpose to be with God. Everything else comes as a byproduct. Becoming like Jesus, having the authority of Jesus, having the peace that passes understanding, having the spiritual gifts for service, having fresh strength and energy, having crystal clear guidance. All those are wonderful things but they're all byproducts of what it's all about. A desire to be with God. Jesus said, if we hear these things and understand these things and do them, we'll be blessed. So here's the thing. In this series, in, this, in our life group meetings, We will hear about solitude and silence. We will study about solitude and silence. We will discuss solitude and silence. We may well understand more about solitude and silence, but none of that will bless you. The only thing that will bless you, Jesus says, is doing it. Now, for each of us, there is a certain fear about solitude and silence. Because we know that in that place, 
we may have awkward conversations with God. And sometimes one of the reasons why we drive ourselves to be busy is because there is pain and there is, are things that we do not want to have a conversation with God about. And so we keep ourselves busy. But there's a certain amount of healing in our lives that can only happen when we stop in the presence of God. And the Lord is inviting us all into a deeper place with Him. So I just want to encourage you. It could be even just recognizing moments for solitude. So uh, sometimes, particularly in the wintertime, walking from the car after an evening meeting to the house and looking up and just seeing the, the whole sky full of stars. Um, the temptation in my mind is into the house, boom, straight into the house. But every now and again, the Lord says to me, just, Nigel, just stop. And I could, it might be 30 seconds. It might be just two minutes. And just stop and look up. It could be the Lord is saying, get up earlier. Go to that seat in your house. Get up before everyone else gets up. That could be difficult if there's a few people in your family trying to do the same thing. You know what I mean? You sort of get up, go to your seat, and just settle down into that place and say, Look, I want to. I want to connect with you, Father. It could be going for a walk. The place doesn't matter so much as the intent. It could also be that actually your life is so busy and so full of activity that actually you think silence and solitude, that sounds like absolute heaven. You long for an hour of quietness. But I imagine you also suspect that if you had that hour of complete silence and solitude, you may well crave the noise and the activity at the end of that hour. That sense of the quietness and the stillness of God sometimes comes instantaneously. We sit down and just look to the Lord and we just sense His presence straight away. Sometimes for me, it's many, many minutes. Sometimes it's hours. My worry list and my to-do list, it just takes me a long time to get out the other side of it, where God finally gets through to me and says, now let's talk in the silence. Let's do the real business in the midst of the silence. Because what the Father wants in your life more than anything else is to be with you. More than anything you'll learn, more than any change that happens, more than anything you ever achieve for the kingdom of God, more than all those things, the Lord wants one thing. You have a heavenly Father who created you, who has remade you in Jesus Christ, and he wants just to continue to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be alone with you. And let's not confuse loneliness with solitude because loneliness is the, is the pain of being alone. Solitude is the glory of being alone. 